What up, y'all? I saw an albino squirrel this morning before I walked into church. That means it's going to be lit. <laughs> uh, hey, good to be with you all this morning. Uh, man, it's really good. If y'all can't hear, man, them allergies jacking me up. So uh, prayer, prayer of anointing over my throat and over my nose so I don't sound like I'm holding my nose the whole time, all right? But we're going to force through anyway. Um, we are actually starting on a new series today in the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. In fact, we're actually starting a string of three books that I love deeply uh, that I think will be really impactful for us as a church. As we exited out of our Exalt Disciple Sin, kind of our vision series, some of the things we saw within that is this desire that we have to really make disciples. And part of discipleship is actually reaching the lost. And we see that in the book of Jonah, this desire that God has to reach those who do not yet know him. What we also care about deeply is sending uh, missionaries into places where God is not known. And what you see in the book of Jonah is this sending God that wants to send uh, Jonah into a people that do not know about him, that do not worship him. And so really Jonah, in a lot of ways, is actually carrying over from our vision series that we just ended last week. And if you want to do an absolutely miserable job at doing both of those two things, then be like Jonah. So the third thing that we see is actually how not to interact, okay, and how not to uh, respond to the call of God like Jonah. So we have a ton of work to do, uh, and today we're going to set up the rest of the sermon series. That's my hope. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1. Um, we're going to stay there the whole day so you can turn and camp there. If you need a Bible, the usher is going to come forward right now. If you would raise your hand, they would love to give you one. Uh, if you do not own a Bible, I would actually encourage you to raise your hand, and they would love to give you one and you can take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word. Uh, if you get that Bible and you're like, yo, this bad boy kind of whack, it's just paper, you can spend $13 to get fake leather on amazon.com and a real Bible, okay? So um, feel free to do that. You can also follow along on your phone. Uh, we want your eyes on the word because we really believe uh, this is the actual word of God trying to communicate who he is to us. As you turn to Jonah 1, uh, if you uh, did not grow up in church, you've never read the book of Jonah, uh, then you're in for a treat. It really is unlike any other book in the Bible, and you'll see that almost right away as it's kind of highlighting and walking us through different things. If you grew up in church, then I want you to throw away everything that you know about Jonah, because most likely you have the incorrect perception on Jonah and who he is. And so just like you thought the animals were kind of playing on the ark as the world was flooding, or as you thought that Jesus was a white guy with long flowy hair, gently petting a lamb, like as you have these pictures, because you grew up in church, they actually begin to corrupt your view of scripture. And so I would encourage you to kind of reject that because what you probably think about Jonah is that there's this dude that got ate by this massive fish and that's what the book of Jonah is about. That's not what the book of Jonah is about. In fact, in all the book where you only get two verses on that thing, it has nothing to do with the fish and everything to do with the faithfulness of God. And what we see is a very different perception. So I would encourage you, kind of reorient your minds as to what scripture actually is highlighting here. You'll uh, see all these other things that you've never seen before because it's not about a huge whale, which by the way, we'll get to next week. We ain't even talking about that this week, okay? It's about a faithful God that pursues the most wicked of us, be it a nation, 
be it a people with rough occupations that create rough type of people, like we'll see with the sailors today, or be it a rebellious prophet, what we see is that it's a faithful God pursuing an unfaithful people, highlighting God's heart for the lost, highlighting God's heart for the nations, and highlighting God's heart for you. Whether you are currently walking in faithfulness or you're a wayward believer right now, what you'll see is that God desires you to come back into intimacy with him, that he's not rejecting you, he's pursuing you because he loves you. And we see that all throughout the book of Jonah, he ain't going to give up on you, even if you've given up on him. That's a word in here for somebody today, by the way. God has not given up on you just because you've given up on him. God is faithful to pursue you. God is more patient with you than you are sinful. God is more dedicated to you than you are dedicated to yourself even. And so God will be pursuing you as we see he pursues the sailors, he pursues Jonah, he pursues the Ninevites. God is a pursuing God. That's what this book is about. Jonah is unlike any other prophetic book because every other prophetic book in the Bible actually focuses on the prophet's message. But here in the book of Jonah, we're actually only getting one sentence of the prophet's message. Instead, the book is focusing on the prophet himself and really the things that we should be to see through that prophet's life and good God almighty we have a lot to learn from this man or really a lot to learn how not to be like this man okay so ton of cover let's chop it up Jonah chapter one and we are going to pick it up right there in verse one it says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this book does not give us a bunch about Jonah because it actually assumes that we already know who he is. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we actually get a picture of Jonah's life. He's not just hopping up on the scene in the prophets. We actually see him interacting amongst the kings. So you can read that this week if you want to know more about Jonah. But it's assuming that people knew who Jonah was. He was tenured in ministry. Therefore, he was used to hearing the word of God and then delivering that word to other people. However, this time Jonah heard the word of God and was like, yeah, you cool, bro, and bounced on him, okay? And so we see a very different response. So there are several really important things that we actually see here. Firstly, as you can see from the map on the screen, uh, Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, which was uh, 500 miles east of where he lived. Instead, he went down to Joppa, 59 miles south of where he lived, and then he was traveling to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away from where he was supposed to be. Okay, Jonah is completely trying to flee the presence of God. Tarshish was actually the end of the known world at the time. If you remember, we don't know that any of this over here exists, right? So Jonah is going as far away as he can from the presence of God. Like he didn't just dip on God, he hit him with that Heisman, right? (laughs) He dipped, bounced, and jived on that man, okay? And so that would be like God kind of saying to you, hey, go preach to those pagans in Dallas, Hey. (laughs) 
and instead you hop up on a shuttle and go to the moon, right? Like that's what it's kind of similar to. He's getting as far away as he possibly can. So why this response? Why does Jonah have this, this innate desire to go the opposite direction? Well, what we actually see about Jonah is that he was a strong diplomat. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, Jonah is shown to be a strong, strong nationalist. He cared deeply about Israel. He cared deeply about the affairs of Israel. And Nineveh was a great enemy to Israel. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And at the time, Assyria was actually encroaching on Israel. And so Jonah didn't want to preach to those people. And what we know about Assyria throughout history is that they were actually a very, very, very wicked nation. When they would go to war, they would find the pregnant women and they would put them in front of people and cut open their stomachs in front of others. Every time they would find a woman, they would rape her in front of many other people. They would often humiliate those who they captured. They would cut off things. They would tie things together. They would just often humiliate their victims. Really, we have not ever seen a nation like Assyria. They were savage in every sense of the word. And so it kind of makes sense that Jonah doesn't want to go preach to them because they're encroaching on Israel there. The Israelites had some hatred for them, and kind of understandably so. So Jonah begins to show that he really does care a lot more about Israel than about the word of God and being obedient to the word of God. And so if there's ever a person or a people or a group of people in your heart that you do not want them to understand the grace of God, then you have a heart issue just like Jonah did. You have to realize that. If there's ever a person that you would kind of rather have the wrath of God pour out over than the grace of God pour out over, then you have a heart issue, very similar to Jonah. You're more racist, you're more inclined to your political party, you're more hate-filled for that person who has wronged you than your heart would incline you to naturally think. We're a lot more like Jonah than we realize. So before we actually cast stones at Jonah's rebellion, I want us to begin to realize that maybe we're a little bit more like Jonah than we realize. Like most of us would rather have our dads perish for the sins they committed against us than the blessing of God pour out on our father's life. No, I'm the only one, right? Because of the way that my dad did certain things, it's hard for me to think about the grace of God in his life. If God were to come and were to say, I'm going to lavish blessing on this man, my innate response would be like, hold on, for all the sin he's done, why aren't you rejecting him? What about lavishing blessing on me, God? And all of a sudden I begin to expose my heart is more inclined to be Jonah-like than Christ-like. And the same is true in us. So maybe your dad, maybe it's your former employee, maybe it's those snobby rich people you just really don't like. Maybe it's the other political party or whatever it might be, whoever you would have a hard time seeing God lavish grace over, then you probably can identify you're a lot like Jonah in that area. And if you remember that, and if you begin to identify with Jonah, then this book is going to be beautiful for you because you'll see the grace of God in your life like never before. But if you think that you're not like Jonah, then all that's going to happen is you're going to continue in your self-denial and you'll actually become more and more hard toward those people that you don't like, just like Jonah did, and you'll end up more like Jonah in the end than like Christ. We have to identify with this here, lest we think we're more holy than the prophet of God himself. I don't know about y'all, but God ain't coming down and being like, deliver this word today, right? Like he's a prophet He's somebody that was connected to God and he is stumbling into uh, nationalism, into racism, into uh, really a sense of, of pride. Man, we gotta realize that we are prone to that as well. 
unless we think we are without sin. And so, even though this book will be hard on your flesh at times, because it's going to be kind of picking at things that actually you have a hard time dealing with, it's going to be really important as we identify who is your Nineveh, who are people that God is calling you to reach, and what is making you hesitant to actually go reach them. Why are you unwilling to go? If God called you into the nations, would you flee that calling because you actually fear more than you trust God? Well, there's actually a hatred in your heart a little bit that you don't realize, or really there's sin that you have because you care more about comfort than the mission of God. You're more like Jonah than you think, family. This is true of us, right? I'm telling you, if you identify with Jonah, you'll feel both the conviction of God, but the joy of God by the end of this time. If you don't, man, you're gonna miss out on what God has for us. And so Jonah here, what we see is a ton of things right off the bat. One, Jonah literally was paying a fare to get away from God. And so he was physically ready to give up his money rather than be obedient to God and what God had called him to. Our sin family often literally physically cost us. We just don't reflect on it enough to realize its impact. But if you were to open up your finances today and I were to look at all of it, would I be able to see some of the idols that you have in your life? I would in mine. We're often physically willing to give up things in order to pursue things that God would have us not pursue. The Hebrews here, what we know about them is that they're actually land people. In fact, the Hebrews were often a little bit fearful of the sea because they saw the sea as uh, this place of uncertainty, that there was all of these abilities for the winds and the waves to pick it up, so they actually stayed away from the sea. So the fact that Jonah was willing to hop up on a boat and not just go like 10 miles, but to travel 2,500 miles across the sea shows how much he is willing and ready to enter into a difficult situation rather than obey and trust God. This is a man that is seriously on the run. What Jonah, Jonah concluded here was that there was probably no real good reason why God would actually call him to do this. See, the Assyrians and Nineveh as its capital, they were enemies, and Israel was God's people. And so why would God call Jonah to go to the enemies and preach repentance to them? And so because Jonah could not see any real good reason for God's plan and command, he concluded that there must not be any. My, my, my. Even though you know the word of God, often, because it doesn't make sense to you, you begin to think that there must not be any reason why God would say that, and you begin to trust yourself more than you trust the word of the Lord. More like Jonah than we realize. The Bible's ethics on sex seem outdated, so you'll pay the fare in order to get what you want. Right? I mean, I, I mean look, am I preaching to myself up here? Y'all can identify, amen, right? Like, this is true in my own heart. There's no way that God would want me to get in trouble for sharing the gospel at my job. He wouldn't want me to get fired or jailed or crucified or persecuted, so I'm just not gonna share my faith. I mean, don't we see in the New Testament what's happening there, right? They're all literally being killed for their faith, and God is calling them to do that still, but because that doesn't make sense to us, we begin to lean on our own understanding versus the understanding of God, we are more like Jonah than we realize. Identify, identify. If you can identify, you'll feel the grace of God pour over your life rather than you trying to make your own self-effort to find justification. By the end of this book, God is going to justify you if you realize your need for God. And so we often are like Jonah. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a seminary professor and a biblical commentator, he says this, 
our problem in obeying God is not that we do not understand what he is saying, but that we do. Ooh. Look, all this heart surgery, we're only three verses in, right? And what you actually see in verse three is it's a pinnacle of all of Jonah in a way. And so I want you to look at it real quick. We wanna break it down. Look at the repetition of the word Tarshish in this, uh, in this very verse. It says it three times. In fact, it's awkward to read when you read it out loud. The reason it's trying to highlight that is it's trying to show you that Jonah is trying to get as far away as possible from God's command. Now, look at all the verbs that's highlighted there in this one singular verse. Jonah went and he paid and he goed. Is that a word, goad? <laughs> he goad. <laughs> but it says go. Look, he go to go with him. <laughs> he go. <laughs> That's that DPS, that Detroit public school system coming up. <laughs> What's happening here, right? Jonah and his flurry of verbs in a way is actually showing us he's kind of acting as fast as he can to reject God's word. Now, Jonah probably wasn't thinking this in his head. He wasn't going, let me figure out how fast I can disobey God because we're often not thinking that either and yet we will do all these actions to avoid the commandment of God when we don't understand why God would call us to do something. We begin to justify in all these ways. On the next slide, what you'll see is uh, uh, the, the poetic structure of this uh, text. This is called a chiasm. It's poetry in a way. And all a chiasm is, is the first and the last part of the sentence, they say the same thing. And then the second and second to last part say the same thing. And it's trying to lead you into the middle section, which is what Jonah is doing. He is completely fleeing God. In fact, in irony, all of chapter one is just a massive chiasm with verse three kind of being a chiasm within a chiasm, okay? And all that's showing us is that the author was so intentionally poetic about trying to show us what was happening with Jonah, it's actually relaying the condition of Jonah's heart, that Jonah is being very intentional. He knows that he shouldn't be going to Tarshish, but he's going there anyway, and he's intentional there. All the verbs, all the repetition, all the poetry, all it's showing us is that, man, Jonah was willing to do what it took to disobey God. I mean, Jonah knew God's word, didn't he? He knew Psalm 139, verses seven and nine. That says, where can I go from your presence? If I uh, dwell in the, or if I uh, take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the seas, behold, you are there, it says. He knew that. That's the next slide if you go there. Jonah knew that, man, this is where he's at, right? Like, where can I go from the presence of God? Literally, if I try to go on the seas, God will actually pursue me there as well. Jonah probably preached this very word before, y'all. He was a prophet. He's used to saying these things. And so just because you know the word of God doesn't mean that you'll be obedient to the commandments of God, family. Just because you know God's word doesn't mean you'll walk in God's word. You can know the word of God and yet reject the word of God because you trust yourself more than you trust God. And this is true in Jonah's life. Listen, no past obedience nor fruitfulness in service to God can ever substitute for present obedience to the word of God. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If God is calling you into something right now, there is no substitute for that. Is God speaking to you, family? 
Are you in the word enough to be able to hear his voice and how he normally speaks to us? Or is he speaking to you by his Holy Spirit, commanding you of certain things? Listen, be obedient to it because God knows your good better than you know your own good. God is for your joy more than you are for your joy. Obedience to him, though you may not understand it or see the reason behind it, will always lead to more life in Christ if you trust him because Jesus has life. But if you just do you and you end up trusting you, then you will get what the thing that you are good at producing is in your life, which you know what you're good at producing? Death. Unless some of y'all have physically resurrected the dead, which I don't, if you did, man, come holla at me, right? Only Jesus has life. And so as we trust Jesus, what we get is life. But as we trust ourselves, we only get what we ourselves can produce, which is not life, y'all. We gotta trust in the word of God. But we often are like Adam and Eve and like Jonah here in this sense, where because we don't understand why God would tell us to do something, we begin to trust in ourselves more. What we think is that God is not good or that he's withholding from us. And we begin to believe these lies about God. Why would God send me to go to my enemy? God must not be good. He must not understand. He must not get it. He must not care about me. And if we listen to the lies of Satan, which I know he's speaking to your heart in these very ways, then you'll end up spiraling down just like Adam and Eve and you will trust yourself more than trusting God and you will end up like Jonah family. We must be obedient to the word of God. God's commands are for our good, our joy. They're not burdensome, the scripture says. God knows what he's leading us into. We gotta go to verse four, or else we're gonna be here till Tuesday morning at 10. Okay, let's go. Verse four. But the word of the Lord, or, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish Several little cool things scripture's trying to draw our attention to. Firstly, notice this is that Jonah went down to Joppa, and then he went down to the ship, and finally he laid down to sleep. With each step that Jonah is taking, he's spiraling more and more downward into his own sin. So it's trying to show us here, every one of those words down is unnecessary to put in there. It's trying to put it in there to highlight the condition of Jonah's heart. Oftentimes the Bible will give you a physical reality of what's happening in the spiritual realm so that you see what's going on here. And so literally it's given us a physical reality of what Jonah was doing, what was happening spiritually in his heart. He is sliding downwards, family. His unwillingness to share the gospel with a certain people to save them from death was actually bringing death on himself without him even realizing it. It was producing death in his life. Disobedience, though you may not realize it, will always result in death. Always. It will always result that in your life It may not feel like it at the time because you may be kicking the snooze button, but I promise you there's storms around you that you may not be able to see. It always produces death. Notice that God hurled the wind as the sailors were trying to hurl the cargo off the ship. You see that the verb choice there? They're both hurling. 
Uh, God is controlling the sea. They're trying to throw stuff into the sea. God is attacking the ship. They're trying to save the ship. These are professional sailors. It's their job to do this, and they know there's something different about this storm. And so the captain, he goes down into the inner chamber where Jonah's sleeping, probably to get some cargo to throw it out on the sea. And as he goes down there, in the original language, it actually uses the word for snoring. So he probably realized Jonah was snoring. He probably didn't see him at first. And then he heard somebody snoring and was like, what you doing, dog? And so I was like, what are you doing, sleeper? That's a, kind of almost a shock of the captain there. And so Jonah's snoring. He wakes up, and the captain says, arise, call out, which is the exact same thing that God said to Jonah in verse 2. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's the exact same three words there, arise and call out. And so when God wants something to happen, it will. Don't get it twisted. God will enact his plan. And so even our freedom, though he allows it, doesn't mean that he's no longer sovereign. When God wants something to happen, it'll happen, family. And so now he's using other people to say the same thing to Jonah. He's going to say the same thing to Jonah in chapter 3 as well. God is pursuing Jonah, even though Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of God, which you can't do. And so Jonah here is seeing that. Now, this is important because I think if you see a storm in your life, maybe it's actually God trying to get your attention, especially if that storm won't go away. Now listen, what I'm not saying is that every storm is the result of sin. That's not true. In fact, there could be hundreds of storms around you, none of them the direct result of your sin. You see, the sailors didn't do any direct sin, and yet they're in the midst of the storm as well. And so sometimes there might be storms around you, and yet what God always does with the storm is he always leads it to your salvation at the end, just like these sailors at the end of the story, spoiler alert, they got saved. And so God will always use the storms to bring about salvation. James 1 tells us that. Romans 5 tells us that. Romans 8 tells us that. And over and over and over again. And so whether the storm is a result of your sin or just God purifying you, as Juhan said during the announcements, God will use it for your salvation if you are a believer. However, it could also be that God is trying to get your attention about something that you're missing with who he is. Tim Keller, who's a pastor and an author, he says this, the Bible does not say every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. Yeah. So Jonah's now awakened to this reality, the fact that there's something wrong. Why? Because God's grace loves him too much to just let this man flee away from all this. God's grace is pursuing him. If you feel God's active pursuit in your life, it is not because he is trying to punish you, family of God. It's that he loves you too much to let you go on to Tarshish and forget about God and who he is. If God is pursuing you, he cares about you too much to allow you to shipwreck your life. God is active in his pursuit. While there may be a hundred storms trying to get your attention, do not count that as God's judgment in your life. Count that as God's mercy, family. Because if God didn't care about you, he would let you run off and do whatever you want to do and shipwreck your faith and shipwreck your life at the end. But oftentimes, God's severity is actually God's mercy in our life so that you don't end up a thousand miles outside of his will, drowning in your own death. God is active in this pursuit. God disciplines those he loves and corrects those he calls his children. If you don't feel the correction of God, you have to ask, am I even a child of God? God disciplines those he loves. Jonah's a child of God. Now God is throwing this storm to begin to create what he wants to see in Jonah, which is a pure heart, as we'll see at the end. Let's keep reading, verse seven. And they said to one another, 
Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them several things. Firstly, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh and talk to sinner pagans about God or his faith. And now here Jonah is talking to sinner pagans about God and his faith. I see you, God. Tricky, tricky. Right? God sent the prophet to point pagans to himself, but now pagans are pointing the prophet back to God. They're drawing his attention back to who the Lord is. Jonah, what he does here is he actually plays his hand pretty seriously. See, they ask him 21 questions, and after all the questions, they're kind of freaking out. Jonah begins to give this response. And firstly, he said that he feared God. But who seemed to fear God more here, the sailors or Jonah? The sailors, right? Just because you proclaim truth about God does not mean that you're actually following God or in God's will, family. So just because you can say something doesn't mean there's actually truth there. He says, I fear God. Do you really, Jonah? You really? Because it seems like you're just running away. And if you truly feared God, you'd be obedient to God. But the sailors here, there's something happening in their heart. It says they were exceedingly fearful. Something was beginning to stir, as we'll see in more in a second. But Jonah, what he also does is he reveals himself ethnically first and then religiously second, probably indicating that his ethnicity is his foremost self-identity, which is why he's fleeing in the first place. He does not want Nineveh to be blessed because he fears what that will happen to his nation. And so rather than trust God and realize what it would mean to forsake his nation that he might preach the gospel to others, he begins to get more wrapped up in his ethnicity than in his religion or his pursuit, his following of God. His nationality was more important than his faith. And when the two were confronted, Jonah punted his faith. That's what we see here. When your political party is more important than your faith, when the two come to head, you'll punt the faith too, family. Don't get it twisted. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus says. You must love one and hate the other. And so if you read more about the politics in your life, more than you do about the policies of the king of the universe, if you spend more of your time in that realm than in this realm, you're probably playing your cards too, just like Jonah did. You care more about that than you do about your faith. When you uh, are thinking about your nationality as more important than following God's command to love your neighbor as yourself, you're playing your cards too. When your ethnicity gets you more rattled up than the faith of God, you're playing your hand. When your gender stirs up more emotion in you than the faith does, then you're showcasing what your identity is. You would rather identify as a female than you would of the God of the universe. You would rather identify as a black man than you would identify as a Christian at times. And though we would never say that, when we begin to look at how we spend our time and the things that begin to rattle us or carry out our emotion, we're actually showing what we are worshiping. And it's so much easier to worship these own self-identities than it is to worship the God of the universe. We have to realize that. Look, y'all, I would rather be a small, petite, white woman that's rich than a hood dude from Detroit, okay? 
if it meant faith in the end, I'd rather be a saved white girl than an unsaved black man. Uh, can I say that? <laughs> Delete that later, dog. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Where is it at in your faith? Now look, now look. We can say that, okay, for real. But if we begin to look at our time, then we begin to realize, like Jonah, that man, sometimes in our racist entitlement or in our self-identifying entitlement, we actually miss out on the blessing of God. You see, because Jonah was unwilling to go do what God was calling him to do, he was missing out on literally the redemption of a whole people group. Jonah was more concerned about his own life than he was about the mission of God. And so because he was focusing on this, he was missing God. And we can so often get so wrapped up in our own ideologies that if God were to call us to do something outside of that, we would be disobedient too and we'd be missing the blessing of God in the process. Do you realize that God is trying to call us into joy? Everything he's moving you toward is for your good family of God and often for the redemption of those around you. God is trying to move Jonah. Jonah's to self-indulge in himself to begin to realize that. You can miss out on God if you don't be obedient to what God is calling you to. And often he calls you out of your own self-identity into the identity of Christ. Y'all tracking with that? Okay, let's finish this section. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as, or as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. L-O-R-D, all caps, is Yahweh, the covenant name of God. They weren't calling him Yahweh at first, now they are. In every instance, the sailors actually outshine Jonah here. If you see on this chart, the sailors feared for their lives. Jonah did not care about their lives. The sailors, ironically, call the sleeper to arise and call out on God. Jonah is supposed to be calling spiritual sleepers to arise and call out on God, but he wasn't. The sailors have an active pursuit to try to save their life. They call out on their gods. They hurl cargo. They cast lots. They're trying to row back to dry land. Jonah is mostly inactive till the end. He's sleeping. He's silent when the lots are being cast. Finally, after the storm gets worse and worse, he's like, hey, throw me in. The sailors are calling out to God. Jonah is fleeing God. The sailors knew that something had to be hurled, but they didn't know what it was. Jonah know that he knew that he had to be hurled, but he did not tell them until it was almost too late, which often the world has a genuine heart, but the incorrect information. And we often have the right information about what can calm the storms in their life, but we don't tell them until it's too dang late. We can be like Jonah, too much, y'all, identify, identify. You'll feel the grace of God if you realize how much like him you actually are. The sailors are seeking the good of everyone. Jonah is selfish and absorbed in his own problems. They pray to God. Jonah doesn't even pray to God until chapter two, y'all. There's no pursuit of God here. They're spiritually aware enough to know that this isn't random. Jonah is asleep. You ain't woke, dog. That's what we can say to Jonah. 
Just because the world doesn't have the gospel truth that will calm the storm doesn't mean that they cannot be more spiritually inclined than the believer is. Oftentimes, there's more spiritual inclination in the world than there is in the church because in our own disobedience, we get absorbed with our own selfishness and it takes the world to shake us out of this trouble. It takes the world to wake us up to the realities that's around us. Now at times, listen, the church needs to rebuke the world and their view of God and their low view of humanity at times, and their rejection of God and the principles of who he is. But at times, the church needs to receive rebuke from the world. Like when the world tells us to act justly more than caring about the money that's inside of our pockets, they're right, y'all. And we need to hear that and receive that. Here, Jonah cares more about himself than the common good, which is a very anti-Christian thing to do. The Christian cares about the good of everyone around them because God is for this whole entire world and they're trying to do that, right? Finally, he just tells them to throw them off the boat and much to their compassionate reluctance, they try to go back to the land because they care about Jonah. Like real talk, if I was a sailor, I'd be like, get your tail in that sea, dog, right? (laughs) It's your fault. But they're trying to get back to the land and so then they end up coming to faith. And what we know about this is that this is not just an emotional conversion. It's not like a foxhole prayer, you know, like, God, if you save me, then I'll go serve you. That's what the prayers usually are. They actually offer sacrifices and make vows to God after the storm ends. In fact, it says that they feared the storm earlier in uh, chapter or verse 4, but then it says they exceedingly feared the Lord. There's a true, genuine faith that's happening here. They're not just praying these emotional prayers. They actually begin to believe in Jesus. I have a friend who I've been reaching out to for forever, and he told me about three years ago, you know what, ma'am, if God gets me a new job, then I'll come to church at least every other week. And I was like, bet, I'm about to pray that then. And so I prayed, and he got a new job within like three weeks. My man has been to church once in the past three years, okay? That was a foxhole prayer. Unless he's listening online, if you are, get your tail to church, dog, all right? But that was a, hey, if God gives me this, then I'll serve him. That's not what was happening here. He began, they began to serve God after God delivered them. There was true conversion. Ironically, every single place that Jonah went and he preached any sort of message, no matter how awful it was, spoiler alert, chapter three, all the Ninevites repent and they get saved. So everywhere that Jonah went, everybody around them was getting saved. They trusted in God's word. So just because you are fruitful doesn't mean you're obedient to God's will or walking in his spirit, y'all. This is why some Christians can have ministries that appear to be thriving, but they're wretched at the same time. It's important that we see that. Beware of mistaking fruitfulness to God for communion with God. You can be fruitful and be killing it and everybody around you can be getting saved and your heart can be wicked and distraught and your character can be awful at the exact same time. Why? Because God cares more about the sailors and about the Ninevites so as not to allow them to hear the gospel just because somebody's all jacked up. He'll use this jacked up person and at the exact same time pursue that jacked up man to draw him into relationship with himself too. God cares about the lostness of the world so much so that sometimes he'll use broken vessels, really broken vessels, to even do it. But we cannot bank on that. We want to walk in holiness the way that God has called us to. And so sometimes, y'all, he'll use you despite your sin. So don't think because you see fruit that you're actually walking with God, you could be fleeing the Tarshish 2,500 miles away from God. You have to realize who God is. 
So, that's Jonah 1. We all feeling happy and encouraged now? We all ratchet out here disobeying God, yay, right? Like, no, like this is hard to hear, right? Like, man, no cap, sometimes the Bible is straight up with our hearts. Sometimes the Bible is serious about where we're at. And we are often, like Jonah, willing to rebel against God's word when we don't understand it, when we are afraid of it, or when we do not agree with it. We're more willing to rebel than to obey often if we do not understand it. Now, I could end this sermon by saying, now go out there and don't be like Jonah. (laughs) Go out there and kill it, right? Obey God. Even when you don't understand, just trust God. Trust his word. Share the gospel with others. Kill the sin in your life. Be in submission to God's word. And this would all be true, but this would lay a weight upon us that is too heavy for us to bear, family. Even though Jonah was a rebellious prophet here, he couldn't help but preach the true meshes of God's word with his life. God was unwilling to let us think that by our own self-effort, we can begin to uh, manually work ourselves into the grace and favor of God. See, if I ended the sermon here saying, don't be like Jonah, now your eyes and your attention would be on your works rather than on the grace of God. But Jonah couldn't help but preach to God. Jonah told the sailors that they needed a substitute to die so that they did not have to die. And they trusted the word of the prophet and they cried out to the Lord and they asked for mercy for their guilt of killing that prophet. And by placing their faith in the death of the prophet, then God's wrath toward them stopped and God's mercy and grace reigned over them. Hello, does that sound like a message you're familiar with? When we trust the word of the prophet, the true prophet Jesus, and we ask for God's mercy for killing Jesus, Because see, we like the sailors also threw Jesus off into the seas. It was our sin that killed Jesus, the scripture says. We were wicked as well. The storm of God's wrath was over us as well. We were children of disobedience, Ephesians 2 says. But Jesus came down and preached and said, if I die for you, then that storm will stop. And we pled to mercy for God as we threw him off the sea and as we believed in the death of the prophet, it brought life to us. You see, Jonah is doing nothing more than pointing us to the foreshadowing of the reality of who our Jesus is, that as we believe in him, we have life. Through the death of the prophet, we get life to ourselves. But listen, the difference is, is that Jesus was not disobedient like Jonah was. You see, when God told Jesus to rise and to go to the nations and proclaim to them their sins, Jesus left the throne room of heaven and immediately came down to earth. He was willing to suffer. You see, Jonah knew that he could have died by the Ninevites. Jesus knew that he would die by us. And yet Jesus came and preached repentance to us willingly. Why? Because God loves you, family. He loves you and he is for your redemption. Unlike Jonah, whose heart was not sensitive toward those who were not like him, Jesus' heart is sensitive to you even though you are not like him. Even though we are very opposite of God, God would come down and become like us and preach the gospel that if we believe in him, we have life in him. And it is that very act of sacrifice that as we look to the goodness of God, this will naturally compel us into good works. See, if we try to not sin, be obedient, go share the gospel, it's not going to be enough motivation. But if we look to the goodness of God, realize his sacrifice, that the storm will stop in your life, that very thing will compel us into faithfulness, into obedience, into following God. So I can say, 
go not be like Jonah, or I can say, go fix your eyes on Jesus, the greater Jonah. And as you fix your eyes on Jesus, we won't be able to help it but to respond in obedience. You see, Jonah began to look at his own nationality before looking to the goodness of God. That was his mistake. But if we look to the goodness of God first, all other things will fall in line. We'll realize he's good. We'll realize he's for us. Then we can boast in who God's made us to be and the call that he has on our life. Jonah could have been just as proud of being an Israelite and yet still shared the gospel if it was rightly aligned. If we rightly align, y'all, we'll feel the grace and the goodness of God. And so will you look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of your faith, who got thrown into the storm for you, that you might find God's favor? And as you look to him, now when he says, will you go do this as well? That will motivate you. It will compel you to good works. 2 Corinthians 5 says, the love of Christ compels us. Let the love of Christ compel you today. God is merciful to pursue you despite your sinfulness. Amen? I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, would you show us where we are running away from you, God? We may not be rejecting our calling in what feels to be massive ways, but maybe we're rejecting just little things in our life. We don't trust your word about what it says about our relational status or our work right now or our need to share the faith or our long suffering through all the pain on earth or whatever it might be. God, help us to trust you, to believe your word, to walk in your goodness and truth. Spirit, would you convict us where we may not be following your word, where we may be unwilling to share our faith with others like Jonah was, where we may rather walk in rebellion than in holiness because we trust ourselves more than you. Convict us of that. Help us to submit to your word even where we don't understand it, God. I confess I don't always trust that you're good. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you for being thrown into the storm for me. Let me trust your goodness. If God would not spare his only son, won't he also give us all things? (laughs) Father, for those who have yet to surrender to you, they've yet to make vows, those who have yet to really trust you as their God, I pray that today they would forsake those little gods that cannot calm the storms in their life. That today they would choose to entrust themselves to you, the true God, that can calm the storm. And that even if the storms maintain right now, we can know that we will have joy forever because of you, Jesus. Pray they would see that. That today you can have the God that controls the winds and the waves also control the emotions of your heart. You can have the God that is overall also be in you. God, help us to continue to walk in that. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.